You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Morning Boys with Ryan Gear right here with you. We appreciate you tuning in. Hopefully everyone's having a great start to your week. And hopefully we can make those at least next two hours a, a more enjoyable part as we roll on to yet another Friday. We hope everyone, again, having a great, great week as it's been a uh, weather-wise, it's been perfect. So no complaints there. We do have a, a great show for you for these next two hours. Hopefully add on to, uh, to a great Thursday so far. Um, a lot of... A lot of interesting stuff um, happening over the uh, the past few days here. A great article I read in CBS Sports um, discussing Roger Goodell and how he can really take a first step of action. And that could be actually taking a knee week one with the players. We'll discuss not only that, but I'm curious your thoughts. Because three or four years ago, this was a very polarizing topic. A really a topic that divided the country um, greatly. And that was NFL players dealing. Were you for it? Were you against it? I'm curious now, four years later. With the benefit of hindsight, with the benefit of obviously everything that's gone on these last few weeks, has your view on kneeling changed? We'll get to that at 940 uh, Eastern, 10 o'clock. Dalvin Cook came out also earlier this week saying he's not going to participate in another offseason uh, off meeting. He's not going to be in another Zoom class. He's not going to be doing anything associated with the Vikings until they give him a new deal. We'll discuss should the Vikings actually pay Dalvin Cook, pay a running back. Something that we've seen happen recently, and for the most part, it has not turned out well. We'll discuss if the Vikings should shell, some, uh, shell out some cash for their young running back, or should they just try to replace him with someone else, as we've seen. It's been interesting. It's been a tough market uh, negotiation-wise for running backs these past few years. Of course, we have 2020 or Apocalypse coming out at 1020. A, uh, a participant that... Um, already have been in contact with. He's very excited. He's really the first participant, I think, that's confident and excited to come on. Usually, anytime I text someone or reach out to uh, have them come on the show, they are nervous. Um, they just want to get one right. This guy, this man himself, very confident, said he's canceled. He literally canceled all his morning meetings to study to get ready for this game at 1020. So we'll see if he can be the first person to go five out of five. We have yet to have a perfect score so far in 2020 Apocalypse. So as always, we'll do that at 1020. 1040. In college football, great is back where he belongs. And we'll discuss um, why one of the dumbest rules ever in college sports um, hopefully has at least been um, been brought to light and can change for the future uh, because the overall sport of college football along with USC is in a better place after what happened yesterday. We'll discuss that to end the show at 1040. Um, and as always, if you want to uh, reach out or listen, we do appreciate listening, whether it's on Facebook at Worldwide Sports or Network. If you're listening uh, through Periscope on Twitter, WWSR and underscore radio, we shout out and appreciate you listening there. If you're listening on the app, WWSRN, uh, whether it's on iOS or Worldwide Sports Radio Network, if you have an Android phone, we appreciate you um, listening in that angle and that aspect as well. And I do have like a, a general show question I want to ask um, but on the Reggie Bush um, topic because, to spoil at least, you know, Reggie Bush now is allowed to be associated with USC again. He, uh, he for the longest time, was not able to say he was from USC. USC was basically not able to um, walk around and basically say, hey, Reggie Bush is our guy. Part of the rules when there were sanctions a decade ago was that they had to disassociate themselves from Reggie Bush. So I'm curious because 
Yesterday, going through social media, because yesterday was the official date when USC could officially welcome Reggie Bush back, officially welcome him and embrace him as a member of the Trojans, and now you know be able to show their alumni, hey, listen, this is our guy, after not being able to for, for a decade. So I'm curious, because with this going on, I saw a lot of my timeline on Twitter flooded with Reggie Bush highlights. Right and now that he's back, all of a sudden you see these great runs by Reggie Bush. He obviously has no shortage of those runs. And I'm curious, the question I kind of want to get get from you guys, I'll throw the answer at, or throw the question at you. I'd love to get the answer from you. Is this the best player you've ever seen in your lifetime? For me, that answer is Reggie Bush. Um, for sure, he's one of the best players I've ever seen ever in any sport. But just the dominance he had when he was at USC for those three years is something that we'll never, ever see again. I don't think, at least for a long time, he just... Someone looked like he was playing in high school when he was at the college level. It was just incredible um, the amount of skill that he had. So that's the question kind of we're throwing out there. Who's the best player you've ever seen any sport in your lifetime? Um, we'll get your, uh, get your thoughts and get your answers throughout the show. But I do want to start with baseball here. I'm going to get into baseball heavy to start the show because if you listen to Monday's show, discuss, you know, kind of the theme overall the last few weeks has been, you know, the players versus the owners. A deal has to get done. Um, and for the most part, if you heard, I've been on the player side. I think they're advocating for the right thing. I think they should really fight as much as possible to not get a second pay cut. And I do think it's on the owners to kind of pick up the tab here in this weird, shortened, obviously pandemic-stricken um, season. To me, they're the ones with all the money. I think they're trying to cry poor, and they are the ones that should be picking up more of the, uh, the bill than the players. And I do have a bone to pick with both. And I'll get to the players here second. I do want to start with the owners because after the show on um, – on Monday, there was a new proposal that came out by MLB that I thought was great for the owners. I mean, great for the players, excuse me, 76 games. Um, the prorated salary was not 100%, but it was 75%, so it was pretty good. Um, they can actually make more money off this deal than a shortened season with full guaranteed contracts. So I'll discuss that in a little bit. Why, for me, I'm curious, I'm, I'm, when I ask these players, is it more about pride or is it more about the money? I'm kind of confused on which, which angle they're on and which side they're on, but I want to start with the owners. And uh, this question I want to bring up here is, are the owners actually lying? Are they liars? Are they telling the truth when it comes to financials? And here's why. A few weeks ago, we talked about Tom Ricketts and his comments um, that he made to ESPN when he was discussing his financials. He was saying, basically, look, MLB owners, we don't really make a profit. Whatever we churn, you know, we bring in revenues, whatever the expenses are, whatever that lump sum is after the expenses are taken out, we put that money back into the team, whether it's through stadium renovations, whether it's through player salaries, hiring, extra staff. Tom Ricketts claims that at least basically all the profits, all the money that's made, after the expense are taken out or put back into the team. And then on Tuesday, St. Louis Cardinals owner Bill Dewitt Jr., he was on 590 The Fan in St. Louis, and he wanted to claim that basically owners don't make as much money as you think. And the Tom Ricketts, you know, said that, you know, fans think that they're sitting on this massive amounts of cash, that they're not. They're not pocketing all this money. They don't have these massive reserves they can call upon in times like this. Bill DeWitt Jr. basically tried to echo that, and he was on 590 The Fan in St. Louis. He claimed, and he said, quote, the industry isn't very profitable, to be quite honest. And that brings you to the question of whether the owners are lying or not. Because now this is the second owner to cry poor. Right? Tom Ricketts, first of all, tried to have this sympathy card painted for him that, hey, listen, we, we put all the profits back into the team. We are here. We're here to win, and we do everything possible to put the, the best product on the team forward. Now you have the Cardinals owner coming out, basically echoing that, saying, listen, the industry isn't very profitable, to be quite honest. We don't make that much money as owners of the team. But one thing that kind of contradicts what these two owners are saying, and it's a phrase we've heard for a very long time, not just at baseball, but any sport. 
X League is a business. The NFL is a business. The NBA is a business. MLB is a business. Is a business. So with that said, anytime we hear negotiations, right, whether it's a player asking for more money and the organization trying to, to negotiate with them to lower that price, we always hear it's a business. You know, all this, you know we, we like this guy. We hope to get him on our team. We want him here for a long time. But it's a business. We have to make sure what's financially sound for us makes the most sense. You hear players talk about all the time. The first thing they learn when they come, uh, become a professional or maybe the first time they negotiate a second contract, it's a business. You know, you're going to be honest. It's about X's and O's. It's about dollars and cents. And for the most part, these owners aren't buying teams to try to win titles. You know, they're not fans like me and you where they buy your favorite team so they can put money into it and try to win the World Series. For the most part, it's a business venture where they try to make money, right? That's, that's the whole point of owning a team. You try to turn a profit, try to make as much money as possible, and that's why you do it. It doesn't make much sense. You know, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. That's how owners operate. And we've seen that come to light with contract negotiations and other things where money is first and foremost. So after we heard and after we keep on getting drilled in our heads, sports is a business, sports is a business, sports is a business. I want to ask this question then. If the industry isn't very profitable, as Bill DeWitt Jr., owner of the Cardinals, is saying, why would anyone buy a sports team? Why would anyone buy a sports team that's not profitable? Or in some cases, baseball specifically, why would anyone buy a team that operates at a loss? Last year, the Brewers claimed they operated at a loss. Their expenses were higher than their revenue. Variety just had an interesting article last week about the Mets because the Mets and the Wilpons are trying to sell the team. They have a few interested buyers. And in the article explaining the Mets' finances, they claim the Mets lose $50 million a year. Two teams. The Brewers were pretty good last year. They made the NLCS two years ago. Small market in Milwaukee. Mets a bigger market, obviously the biggest market, media market in the U.S. in New York. Up and down, passionate fan base. Both of those teams claim to have lost money last year. So I'm curious, and nothing, something's really not adding up. If baseball wasn't profitable, if Tom Ricketts claims that all, all the profits they make go back into the team, if Bill DeWitt Jr. claims that the industry just flat out isn't profitable, owners don't make that much money when you own a team, something's not adding up. Why would you buy a team then? Why would you go through that headache? Why would you shell out all this upfront cash, billions of dollars, as we just saw the Kansas City Royals, the latest example, were sold for a billion dollars? So you're not buying low and maybe sell high when you're done. You're buying in high and hope to sell higher. But something's not adding up here because one of two things are going to be true. I'm going to lay out two, two situations here because only one of them can be true. Either the owners truly are making zero money and they are the worst businessmen in history. Because think about it, revenue is only increasing, right? You heard me on the show now, but it feels like three or four weeks in a row, hammering home the point. Revenues have increased 17 straight seasons in baseball. Last year, they brought in $10.7 billion. So not only are revenues increasing, the payroll of the players is decreasing. Revenues up, expenses down, but they still can't turn a profit? It's not that profitable? What business do you know that revenues increase, expenses decrease, but the owners can't make money? That doesn't make sense. So either that's true, they're the worst businessmen in history, that they can't turn a profit when revenues are increasing and profits are decreasing, or... The other thing can be true, they're covering up for massive gains that they are making, and their goal is in, in trying to make it seem like they're getting less money than possible, keep the player's salaries low. Hey, listen, we only make this amount of money. You can maybe, whether it's hiding money, whether it's not claiming this sort of money as a, as a revenue, and basically try to keep the player's salary as low as possible so that more, that more money goes into their pocket. Hey, if I don't have to pay a Bryce Harper $300 million, that's $300 million that I can put myself, put away, 
and uh, put it in another business or just put it in my pocket. So only one or two things can be true. Owners are the worst businessmen in history. As money goes in, less money goes out, but they still can't turn a profit. Or they're lying. They're covering up, and they want to keep player salaries as low as possible. In doing so, you have to lie and say, hey, listen, we don't really make that much money. You know, you're trying to vilify us, the billionaires. We're not bringing in money. All that goes back into the team. It's not profitable for us. The players are the ones being greedy here and trying to take us to the bank. But really, we don't have that much money to begin with. For me, I think it's number two. And here's why. I think they're covering up for massive gains, and they're trying to keep the player salary as low as possible. And here's why. The numbers bear it out. So like I said, 17 straight seasons. And I apologize for sounding um, repetitive. But it's, I feel like I have to keep hammering home this point because that's what I keep going back to as to why the owners keep complaining that they don't make that much money, but it doesn't make sense. So revenues keep on increasing. Again, 17 straight seasons. Revenue has only gone up. So impressive by Major League Baseball to only keep the cash flow coming in. Even during the Great Recession back in 08, revenue just kept coming in. So as revenues keep on coming in, you would think the player salaries would keep on going up. More money in. That means more money after the expenses are taken out. Okay, sure, we'll, we'll shell out a bigger contract for maybe a player to deserve it, but you know we have all this money. We want this guy. We like him. We'll overpay a little bit just to get him on, on the team. It would just only make sense. The more money the owners have, the more they're willing to spend to get a, a better team. And obviously, you know, you got to spend money to make money. But the player's salaries have, have not bore that out. They've only, if anything, stayed st- stagnant at best, let alone decrease. So this year, the average salary for Major League Baseball was supposed to be $4.4 million. Obviously, we know that's not going to be the case. That was going to be in a normal year, 162 games played, no pandemic, no coronavirus, fans in the stands, a normal year, $4.4 million. Since 2016, so it's a four-year gap. So from 2016 to 2020, the average MLB salary combined has increased 1%. So in four years, salaries have increased by a total of 1%. So despite revenues continually to increase, despite MLB um, only having, again, the money come in, get higher and higher and higher, whether it's through online streaming, whether it's through marketing, they brought in a ton of money. But despite revenues increasing, salaries have increased a total of 1% in four years. And not just that, not only have they basically stayed stagnant for four years, despite the money coming in, getting higher and higher every year, and record revenues repeating over and over. 2018 and 2019, the average MLB salary decreased two years in a row. You know the last time that happened? The last time the average MLB salary decreased consecutive seasons? Never. MLB started keeping track of average annual salary starting in 1967. So for that entire time, guess what? Salaries have never decreased, player salaries never decreased two years in a row. Until 2018, until 2019. Think about that. I'm no math guy, right? If you listen to the show, you know math is not a strength of mine. I went to journalism school at Penn State. I did not do anything with math. And if you heard me try to do quick math on the show, it's been painful, and I apologize for you have to listen to it because it's been tough. It's been very tough. But no math major has to break it down. You know, to be a math major, I should say, to see salary is decreasing, but revenue is increasing. Something doesn't add up. And I said, MLB salaries have increased a total of 1% since 2016. 
basically 0.25% each year. It's gone up, barely crawling. MLB revenues have increased 4% each year over that same time period. So the owners are bringing in 400% more revenue each year compared to what the salaries for MLB have increased. Something, so something does not add up. And I go back to, to the two options I laid out. Either the owners are making zero money and they're the worst businessmen in history because their increases and their revenues, excuse me, have increased 4% each year. 4%, 4%, 4%, 4%. Each year they're, 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 uh, they're increasing by that much. Salaries are decreasing. Again, the first time in MLB history since they started keeping track, 1967, that salaries have decreased consecutive years. $4.41 million in 2018, $4.36 million in 2019. Two years in a row, they've decreased average-wise for the first time in MLB history since they started keeping track. So either the MLB owners are the worst businessmen in history because despite revenues increasing, despite payroll decreasing, somehow they can't turn a profit. is mind-blowing. It feels hard to do. You have to be an awful businessman to have that happen. Not to mention, for the most part, a lot of these guys made their wealth through other businesses. So it's not like they're just bad business owners or in the case of, let's say, a James Dolan where you get inherited from your father and he does all the work and you basically now are sitting on this fat wad of cash that you're trying to manage. A lot of these owners have worked themselves, are good businessmen. So I find it hard that all of a sudden they forget business one-on-one. They forget how to churn a profit while revenues increase and profits decrease. So to me, 100%, they're covering up for massive gains. So they're trying to keep the players' salaries as low as possible. They want to get as much money for themselves as possible. So that's how something doesn't end up when you have Tom Ricketts come out last week and now Bill DeWitt Jr., the Cardinals owner, come out earlier this week and claim that the, in- the, claim that the industry isn't, isn't quite profitable, to be quite honest. Quote, the industry isn't very profitable, to be quite honest, that the Cardinal owner said earlier this week in, in, San, uh, in St. Louis. Well, Bill, the, the money that we laid out here says you should be profitable. Quick math shows, yeah, you should be making money. And making a lot of it. Think about it. If, you're, if your revenue is increasing 4% every year, while at the same time, MLB salaries are increasing 0.25% every year, you should be making a massive profit from that. But instead, somehow they're not. So they can try to tell us, we don't make any money, try to cry poor, try to have us understand, hey, listen, being an owner is not easy. We don't make that much money. You know, I know we paid a billion dollars to own this team, but guess what? You know, we really make pennies on the dollar every single year. It doesn't make sense. No smart business person, no person has that much money, would spend and shell out billions of dollars and then on top of it, shell out hundreds of million dollars year after year after year to get, let's say, what, a million dollar profit they can take home with them? It's too much of a headache. These teams are sitting on massive amounts of revenue, massive amounts of cash, and they do not want us to know about it. That would hurt all their leverage and really force, I think, the, you know, the public outcry against them to get a deal done and put even more pressure, more scrutiny on the owners as to why a deal hasn't been done so far. It's June 11th, by the way. And a deal is not done yet, which I want to get to here in a second. But something doesn't add up. Profit, uh, revenues increase. Expenses decrease, somehow profits aren't made. 
one of the two owners are lying or they're awful businessmen. I'm going to number two. I think they're lying for sure, trying to keep player salaries as low as possible. So I'd love to get your thoughts. Do you buy this? Again, we, we talked about Tom Ricketts last week. Now it's Bill DeWitt Jr. of the Cardinals this week. Two owners on the record claiming that they don't make a lot of money. But the simple math shows you they should be making a ton of money. So let's get your thoughts. Do you believe MLB owners, when they cry poor, when they claim they don't make a lot of money, and that all the money goes back into the team, do you believe them? Love to get your thoughts. Whether it's on Facebook, World Light Sports Radio Network, um, Twitter, if you want to tweet, WWSRN underscore radio. If you want to tweet me, Ryan underscore Hickey, and the number three, we'll get your thoughts. When we come back, I do want to get on the players for one quick thing here. Because I'm a little confused of what their message is and really what their ultimate goal is. So I'll love to get, I'll give you thoughts on, on one thing that kind of made me scratch my head when it comes to the player's perspective. And we'll do that when we come back here uh, with the Morning Boys right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. It, it, it's time to wake up with the Morning Boys. On Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on this Thursday morning. We appreciate you listening and tuning in. As we were talking about, again, again, baseball not getting out of their own way. And as the money fight continues between the players and the owners, who's telling the truth? Who is lying? Who's exaggerating the truth? We're trying to get down to the bottom of it. The latest is that now the Cardinals owner claiming that MLB is just not that profitable. Despite revenues increasing, despite salary and payroll decreasing, they're not making a profit. Someone's lying. We're trying to figure out who's lying. I think it's the owners. Uh, my sister just sent me this very interesting article from Forbes uh, from, uh, from late May. The headline reads, MLB owners cry hardship. Our numbers show they made $8 billion in profit since 2010. I mean, I'm sorry. Again, I, I can't see and I don't see how owners can continually try to, uh, try to cry poor, try to show us that they don't make a lot of money, despite the revenues, again, increasing year after year after year. Team valuations increasing year after year after year. Salary uh, and payroll staying stagnant or decreasing. 2018 and 2019, salary, average salary decreased both years for the first time ever since they started keeping track of average annual salary back in 1967. Did salary drop consecutive seasons for the first time ever? Think about that. Despite what happened in history, despite the Great Recession about a decade ago or so, salaries continue to increase or stay the same, except for these last two years where they've decreased. And they're going to decrease again this year, obviously just because of what we're dealing with with the pandemic here. So I don't believe the owners are bringing, or I don't believe the owners, excuse me, when they say they're not turning a profit, that all the money goes back into the team and basically that they are, you know, hamstrung or handcuffed with liquidity or with money. I, I I'm sorry. I just can't believe it. I'd love to get your thoughts. Uh, if you uh, believe it or if I'm being too hard on the owners, either on Facebook, World Art Sports or Network, uh, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. We'll read your thoughts throughout the show. Um, but I do want to get on the players, the MLB players here. Because, again, for a while, ever since really this, this feud started, this debate started of who should take a pay cut, should it be the players taking another pay cut to absorb the losses, should it be the owners who are the ones that are absorbing most of the loss here in this shortened season because of coronavirus, who, who should be the one right now that takes, takes basically and shoulders the load more than the other? That's what we're fighting over. That's what the owners can't agree with. That's what the players can't agree on. And that's why so far on June 11th, we do not have a deal. So right, the NBA – so at the NHL, so at the NFL, all three of those so far are business as usual or have a plan to return 
the only sport that plays in the summertime does not have a plan to return. Which brings you to this question about the owner, uh, about the players. Because again, a pro player, I'm defending them. They should get as much money as possible. They should not be the ones taking the pay cut, um, so the owners can can get a you know have a relief and save some money that they've been doing for a while now. But I do have this question, and I'm starting to question a little bit the motivation for the players. I think it's a little misguided, and that is, are they more concerned about the actual money they're going to make this year, or are they concerned more about pride? You know, saying they beat the owners, saying, yeah, we said we're not going to play for less than a pro-rate salary, and that's what we're going to do, damn it. I'm curious, because after the show on Monday, I discussed, you know, if you listen on Monday, we, we discussed the possibility of a 50-game MLB season. Because right now, if a deal is not done, Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred has the authority and the power to issue a, a, um, a season, um, and he can determine the length. So he can say, listen, the, the agreement that was made in March you gave him the power to say, listen, you guys can't agree on salary. Fine, we're playing a 50-game season. It's going to be fully prorated, so the players are going to get what they want. But it's going to be less games, so the owners don't have to pay that much money. So baseball, and we heard Rob Manfred say yesterday, baseball is going to be played in 2020. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how many games. And I made the argument and made the discussion that I think fifty game a 50-game season is a joke. I, I do. 48 games, 50 games, 54 games. To me, I can't look at it as legitimate. I can't honestly, in good faith... Root for a team that I root for in the Mets, and have and any success that they have, take it legitimately. Like if they won the World Series this year, do, am I really going to go around and treat that World Series the same as past World Series? You can't. Everyone's going to laugh at you. You're going to be laughing stock. You played a third of the season. It's like a team playing. You know, if the NFL played five games, and then you had, you know the playoffs were the same. You had a Super Bowl champion. Let's just say the Chiefs or let's just say the Jets won the Super Bowl. People are really going to look at that Jets Super Bowl from 2020 the same as they view the Chiefs, same as they view the Patriots, the same as they view the Eagles? No. You played five games. You played a third of the season. So I thought that was imperative and it's important. The MLB try to play as many games as possible, whether it's 82, whether it's 80. Somewhere in that range, I still view as respectable. And after uh, the show on Monday, the latest MLB proposal came out that they were going to play 76 games at a 75% prorated salary if the playoffs are played in full. And essentially, as soon as that was released, a lot of players weighed in, basically spit on the offer. Some even said it was worse than previous offers. So, you know, to me, it begs the question and raises the question. Is this about getting the most money on the table? Right? Is this about getting how much are we going to get in 2020, try to get as much money as possible for this season alone? Or is it about pride? Like I said, or is it about sticking to the owners saying you're going to demand one thing and you're not going to back down until you get that? In the player's case, that is a full prorated salary without a second pay cut. So if they have to play 48 games in order to not take a second pay cut, they're going to do it no matter what so they can stick it to the owners and say, hey, listen, we said we're not going to take a second pay cut. We didn't do it. So I'm curious. I'm trying to wonder because it seems so far, for the most part, these negotiations are going to be about pride. And they're starting to prioritize pride and stick it to the owners over getting the most money and making a legitimate season. And I think that's the wrong way to go about this. I think it's the wrong angle to look about this. Because pride, what pride does, it blurs your vision of the good. And you get so dead set. You get so pigeonholed on one thing that even if there's a greater offer, you don't decline it because that's not what you want. And here's what I mean by that. The players are still upset because the last few CBA negotiations have heavily favored the owners. 
They've won. They've won handily. And so far, it's hurt the players, whether it's it's free agency, with their wages getting suppressed, whether it's the way um, owners are not forced to spend. There's, you know, there's a luxury tax that was put in that, if anything, doesn't act like a salary cap, but it does prevent owners from spending more money because the more money you spend, you get taxed on that. So really, it, it almost prevents, it, it sort of is a de facto salary cap. You spend over you know, $220 million, you got to pay this tax, and the more money you spend, the higher the tax is. So sure, technically, there's no salary cap. Players can make as much money as they want. Owners can pay as, players as much as they want. But in theory, it's sort of a soft salary cap that is there in theory that does, again, prevent spending, which hurts the player's salaries overall. So I feel like the players are all about trying to get revenge and are using this season as leverage, and they're trying to use this season as a point to prove, hey, we're not going to get pushed around, we're not going to get bullied, which I respect to a certain point. I respect them trying to swing the pendulum the other way. I respect them when the CBA runs out after the 2021 season, using this as a, as a, um, a small battle in the war, right? We got to win this battle. We got to show the owners we mean business. So at that point, when 2021 comes around and they're negotiating a brand new CBA, they realize we're not pushovers. They realize we better give these players something or else, you know, we're all going to lose out. But pride sometimes can hurt. Pride gets in the way. And what I mean by that is this latest offer, 76 games, 75% prorated salary. To me, that was a perfect offer. That was a great offer for the players to play a legitimate season, get most of the money that they want, and let's play baseball. Let's get, you know, everyone kind of leaves happy. And the funny part is, that proposal actually gives the players more money, despite taking a second pay cut technically, Right, because it's 75% instead of 100%, so you're still taking a small haircut there. Despite that, the players are, would still make more money in this season than they would if they get a full 100% prorated salary, but in a shortened season. So John Heyman, a great, great baseball insider, had tweeted this out on Monday um, when, this, when the proposal was put out there and said it would be about a 19% increase, an estimate of just about 19%, increase in salary for players for this plan, the 76 games at a second pay cut, compared to the players played a 50-game season with full pay. So yes, I understand it's a risk, because the biggest risk associated is now, you know, the kind of the asterisk there that's hidden, is that the players get 75% of this priority salary if the playoffs are played. Which, as we know... We're, we keep hearing about a second wave that's kind of coming in the fall. There's a concern that, you know, sports leagues may not be able to finish. Baseball is concerned. Baseball is concerned that they will not be able to finish the season once they start. And we even heard when we had Dennis Dodd on a few weeks ago talking about college football, I asked Dennis a question, what's harder for college football, to start the season or to finish the season? And he definitively said finish. It's pretty easy to start, theoretically. But it's once the season gets started, how do you keep the players healthy? How do you keep the season going so that if a second outcome if a second wave does, if a second outbreak does occur, the players will stay healthy as much as possible and the season won't get halted to a, uh, halted like the NHL did and like the NBA did. So that's the big risk for the players. That, okay, there's no guarantee that the playoffs are going to be played and going to be played in full. So if they don't get played, basically they, they forfeit 25% and now they basically make half of what they're supposed to make this year. So there's a risk. Don't get me wrong. You're risking almost, you know, again, instead of getting 75% if the season is finished, if it's not finished, you only get 50%. So a lot of that money is tied into the playoffs being completed. 
But to me, I think the risk is worth the reward. Baseball is a sport to where you can social distance. Basically, you, you can say the safest on the field that you can in any other sport. Basketball, you're bodied up on someone. Hockey, you're hitting people. Football, you're tackling people. Baseball is the one sport where you have outfielders that come, you know, don't come within feet of each other for most of the game. Everyone is spaced out on the field. You can, for the most part, keep players as safe as possible. And baseball has the best shot at keeping players safe compared to the other three leagues. So, yes, it's a risk that, you know what, the coronavirus might get so bad that the season might not finish. But the reward is that you make more money than you would in a shortened season. So shouldn't making more money outweigh pride? The pride of not taking a second pay cut? Shouldn't you push that to the side and say, listen, we take a second pay cut. We're actually going to make more than we would if there is no pay cut and we play a shorter season. Again, they were making almost 20% more, give or take, is what John Heyman's saying, in a longer season at a second pay cut compared to if they play 50 games, but they, they get their full amount that they're supposed to. Take the, the deal with the more money. Because 50 games should be a last resort for everyone. First of all, like I said, I, I truly do think, and I think a lot of people are, would agree, it's not legitimate. I think the players would be the first ones to tell you it wouldn't feel real. Whoever wins the World Series, there'd be some sort of uh, illegitimate feeling. You wouldn't feel like you completely earned it. Played a third of the season. It just it wouldn't feel right. I understand circumstances are different. But 76 games, 82 games, as close to half a season as you can play, I think is legitimate. I think you could view that and say, you know what? Half a season, that's still enough games to where the best team truly won. 50 games, to me, it, it just it, it, you can't get that. So not only is it le- not legitimate, whoever wins will kind of have to always hear about, oh, yeah, you won, but it was a shortened 50-game season. I mean, who cares? So not only do you have to live with that, it's less overall pay. You're getting less money. So I don't really see the benefit from the player's perspective of a 50-game season. I right, sure, you know, it's less games, so theoretically there's less risk that you can, that you can get sick. It's really the only benefit, but it's not legitimate. It's less overall pay. I don't see how, again, a shortened season would be to the benefit and to um, would help the players. And guess what happens? Also, like I said, it's June 11th. Each passing day that, that goes by, less games are going to get played. Now, the owners are resigned, resigned to the fact that Major League Baseball is steadfast that they are not going to play regular season games into October. They're worried about a second wave coming. They want to get the season over with as soon as possible. So as the players continue to ask for more games, whether it's 114 that they offered, the latest proposal, uh, I believe it was yesterday or two days ago, was 89 games. The owners are not about more games. They are dead set on ending the season September 27th, no matter what. So what that means is when you have a hard date to end the season, every day that passes by, less and less games get played, less and less money the players can make. So this is where kind of the players, to be honest, for the first time kind of lost me. You have a deal that is a risk, don't get me wrong. But the risk is worth the reward because you make more money than you would in a shortened season. Take the deal that gives you the alternative. Take the deal that gives you more money. Put pride aside. Save pride for when you argue for the, uh, for the CBA in 2021. Take the win now. People want baseball back. I'm desperate for baseball. A lot of people are desperate for baseball. It's ridiculous that that's the only league 
out of the NBA, the NFL, and the, uh, the NHL that is still yet to get its bleep together. F- please. I mean, just figure it out because the players, again, can't let pride get in the way. I've been on your side this entire time. I respect where you're coming from. I respect the stance that you have. But at some point, too, you got to realize a good deal is a good deal. A pay cut doesn't mean that the deal is awful. And in some cases, some players said that this deal is even worse than previous offers. Look at, the, look at basically what's going to happen. Look at the inevitable. A 50-game season, you'll get your full pay, but for only 50 games. You take a small pay cut, but you play 25 more games. You're getting more money in the end. Take the deal that gives you more money. Take the deal that legitimizes the season. You play 75 games. I think a lot of people would still view it as legit. Almost half the season, it's, it's real. We, no asterisks needed. Nothing, nothing to that nature. Take the deal. So I'm curious you know, to get your thoughts. Should the players prioritize pride? Should they actually be like, you know what? We needed to get a win here. They've been losing. Like I said, their salaries have decreased. First time in history they've decreased two years in a row. They need a win here bad. Should they prioritize pride? Should they try to stick it to the owners in order to kind of set it up for two years from now when they're arguing a new CBA and trying to get that deal done? Or should they prioritize money? I think for this year they should prioritize money, take the deal that pays them the most. That was the 76-game proposal that they rejected. And we're going to go back and forth until inevitably it seems like we're going to have a 50-game season. Not going to be legitimate in my eyes. It's going to be a joke over a year, but that seems like what we're going to, we're going to get to here. And that's and whether the players are resigned to it, the owners are resigned to it, seems that's the road we're going to go down. Now it only, you know, the question is, when, are we, when is that deal going to get there? When are we going to get based? When are they going to finally agree? All right, fine. We're just going to play 50 games. I mean, they're still continuing to negotiate, but I don't, I don't see um, the players putting their pride aside, which I think they should. Take the money, take the deal with the more money. So let's get your thoughts whether the player should prioritize money or pride. What's more important, money or pride? I think it's money. That's how you get a win. I think it would be a good, you know, a win in their books per se. Um, let's get your thoughts, whether it's a Facebook, World Sports Radio Network, uh, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Prioritizing money or pride? What is more important in the mind when it comes to trying to get baseball back here? So get your thoughts when we come back. Kneeling in the NFL. Has your, chan- has your stance changed? We'll discuss that when the morning boys, Ryan Hickey, return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. It, it, it's time to wake up with the morning boys. On Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. We are pumping it up here on a Thursday morning. We appreciate you tuning in. It is the morning boys, Ryan Hickey, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hopefully everyone's having a great Thursday, a great start to week, and hopefully for these two hours every Monday and Thursday, we can make it a little better. A little entertainment, a little excitement, a little knowledge. Um... As we, that is, uh, that's the goal here at each and every show. Hopefully we're accomplishing that. Uh, if not, feel free to let me know. I know people are not shy about expressing their negative views here, so feel free. If the show sucks, if you hate it, you want to see an improvement, let us know on Facebook or Twitter or shoot me a text. If, it, if it's that, you know, that, um, that scalding of a review, that bad you don't want people to see, uh, please spare everyone else. You can shoot me a text directly, and uh, we'll, we'll try to fix that for you, whatever it is. 
Um, so we did open the show here with a lot of baseball talk. Shocker, I know. It feels like it's, uh, I apologize for kind of beating a dead horse here um, or repeating myself constantly. But a lot of these negotiations, a lot of what the players are claiming, a lot of what the owners are claiming, it's the same thing. These people have money that they're not trying to pay us. From the owner's perspective, we have no money. And the owner and the players are trying to, you know, basically squeeze money out of a rock. There's nothing there. There's no juice left. And my sister sent me an interesting article, a Forbes article from uh, earlier in May um, or late in May, excuse me, talking about basically, you know, the financials. Who are the owners right in crying poor? Right. Because I've made the uh, assertion and discussed earlier today. Revenues are increasing. Players salaries are either staying stagnant or decreasing. How is a profit not being turned? You know, the Cardinals owner earlier this week say that the league isn't as profitable, quite honestly. It's not making money. So the question begs, either the owners are the worst businessmen in history, because as revenues increase, as player salaries decrease, they still can't turn a profit. Mind-blowing. I mean, find me someone that can't do that. Or they're lying, keep their, their revenues low, keep their profits low, so they don't appear to have as much money as they do, so that way they can suppress player wages and not pay them that much money. They've done that in free agency. Free agency has been a scary, scary place for players. And you can look at Bryce Harper, look at Manny Machado, you can look at um, Mookie Betts next year, you can look at Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon. Players are still getting hundreds of millions of dollars, don't get me wrong. Those contracts are still getting handed out. But it's the 1% of the 1% that are getting that. Average annual salaries decreased the last two years. Free agency for an average player or a decent average player is a scary spot because you get there when you're not, you know, you don't get to free agency young. They got you for six years. And in some cases, they can manipulate it against Chris Bryant. They'll get you for seven. So you're no spring chicken. You're 28, 29, 30 by the time you get free agency. No one's paying big money for what you did in the past. And theoretically, you're, you know, you're not going to be as good at 30 as you were maybe, let's say, at 25. But I was just talking with my sister who does, you know, she works in an accounting firm. so She knows money pretty well. So I'm trying to f- talk through with her. What does it make sense here? She made a good point that at least, you know, maybe, maybe salaries are low. So the, exp- the profits may seem high, but expenses that aren't, aren't counted, um, like let's say stadium enhancements, like the Cubs have done a lot of stadium renovations for a good field, building a new stadium. We see the Braves had a new stadium recently. The Rangers are opening up a new stadium this year at some point. Those can count as expenses that maybe, you know, you wouldn't see right away. Um, So you take that out of the profit. If that's the case, fine. But how about this? Why aren't you showing us that? How come anytime the players say, show us the books, show us the money, we don't believe you until you actually show us the hard proof, then we'll believe it. Why the owner's hesitant to show, show the books, show the truth? We had Jared Diamond on the show, I think it was about two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. I asked him that exact question because Jared made that point. You know, you know, salary, you know, profits maybe aren't as high as they think. Expenses are increasing and expenses, maybe whether it's extra scouting, whether it's technology, whether it is renovations for stadiums, you know, expenses are going up for teams, which is, which is fine. But if that's the case, why aren't you just telling us if you if what you're saying is true? If what Tom Ricketts is saying is true, if what the Cardinals owner Bill Dewey Jr. is saying is true, that money, the profits just aren't there. It's not a profitable business. You don't make a lot of money owning a team. What are you hiding? Why wouldn't you show us the books? Why wouldn't you just put it out in the open and say, hey, listen, 
this is this is the money you're making. This is actually true. In some cases, we lost money. The Brewers claimed to lose money last year. The Mets apparently lose $50 million a year. Show us the books. Show us the hard ev- evidence. And then guess what? The player's tone will change. My tone will change. But I think there's a reason why they're not showing us the books. There's a reason why they're keeping it hidden and just saying, uh, trust us, trust me. I'm telling the truth. And then you couldn't trust me from years on past. I've always tried to screw you over in every single negotiation. When I did screw you over, let you know about how much I screwed you over. But trust me, we have no money. Revenues are increasing. Your salaries are staying stagnant or not increasing. Trust us, we're, we're tied here. We have no money. We can't pay anyone. Show us the truth. Show us the books. Or else just pay up. I'm sorry. No one's going to believe the owners. No one's going to believe a billionaire. They cry poor, but don't show you the proof. I I just have a hard time believing that all of these owners have all of a sudden magically no money. Despite all this money pouring into Major League Baseball, despite all these owners being businessmen, having other... You know, having other teams. I mean, think about how much money you have to have in order just to buy a team. The Miami Marlins sold for $1.2 billion recently. The Kansas City Royals, one of the least profitable teams in baseball, sold for a billion dollars. So to try to say baseball is not a profitable sport doesn't make any sense because guess what? Those team valuations, if you truly weren't making money, Teams wouldn't be selling for as high as they are selling for. And people wouldn't be buying teams. Right? If it's a stock, right? If me and you, because we're, we're never going to be on the same level as an owner to buy a team. There's a stock out there that is expensive to buy into. Let's say it's $50 a share. And the return is $51. So you're making $1. You're shelling out all this money to get a small profit in return. Is it worth the headache? Are you really going to spend gobs and gobs of money to get pennies back on the dollar? So it doesn't make sense then so why anyone would buy a major league team, a major league baseball team specifically. So what, you can sell it in 20 years? And more than you bought it for? It's still profitable. But to think that you know they, they barely churn a profit year after year after year. While revenues increase, just to me, doesn't doesn't add up. Does not add up. Until you show us the math, show us the actual money, dollars and cents, uh, maybe I'll believe it. But up until this point, I don't think, um, I don't really buy, to be honest. The owners claiming that they're poor, they don't have all this money. So I'll have to get your thoughts here, whether it's on Facebook, um, or that Sports Network. We do have some comments here, we'll read in a second. Whether it's on Twitter, if you want to shoot us a tweet, WWSRN underscore radio. Um, Nick writes in, Nick, I, I like Nick. Nick's a big baseball guy like myself. He gets both sides. It's a little bit of pride, but he thinks the main point that I, he's been hearing is that the players don't want to give into the screw themselves over, for lack of a better word, in future negotiations with owners by caving in. And I would agree with him. So he, he is right, and he kind of made the point that I, I was kind of talking at. When it comes to the players' perspective that we're looking at here, which I just discussed, it's basically almost pride versus money. The pride of not taking a second pay cut. The owner, I mean, excuse me, the players came out right away and said, we're not taking a second pay cut. Whatever happens, we'll play however many games as possible. We're not taking a second pay cut. Versus getting the actual money, which is the owners proposed a deal that is contingent on the World Series getting played. So it is a risk. I'm not saying it's risk-free. I'm not saying it's guaranteed money. 
It's a risk. But if the season gets played, if the World Series is finished and we have a champion, the players would take a second pay cut. But because there's more games played, they would actually make more money. So they would make more money in 75 games with a second pay cut than they would playing 50 games without a second pay cut. So I think Nick is right where it's almost the players are now looking at pride where it's like, we want to screw themselves over. We have a new CBA coming up in two years after the 2021 season. So we want to you know, take a stand now. We want to use the coronavirus. We want to use a shortened season to show us we're not getting pushed over. The last few CBA negotiations, we've gotten hurt. We've lost those battles. The owners have let us know we've lost those battles. This is where we take a stand. They're digging their feet in. And they're not going to give up until they get what they want. And I think I, I personally think that's the wrong approach to take. I do. I think now what their argument has done is allowed um, people to kind of bring to the forefront of really how greedy owners are. Because think about it. Anytime there's a player negotiation, there's a contract negotiation, right? And we're going to talk about Dalvin Cook here in a little bit. He wants a new contract from the Vikings. Should the Vikings give it to him? Any side, baseball, football, basketball, right? We always hear about it's a business, and we always hear, for the most part, when there's a contract negotiation, for the most part, we all side with ownership. Sign the deal. Oh, the player's making this much money already. You know, what's another million or two? You're being greedy. Take the massive amounts of money, and let's get back on the field. So we always kind of agree with the team, with the ownership, Take the deal that's presented to you. You're already making a ton of money. Let's go. Don't be too greedy. Get on the field. I want to see you play. Now, I really do think these negotiations and the player's point has gotten across that, hey, listen, you know, you want to try to vilify us. We're making pennies on the dollar compared to what the owners are making. You know, we're the reason why all this money is coming in. We're the reason why fans are watching, are going to the games, why advertisers want to advertise with TV, why the TV revenue is so high, because people are watching and tuning in to watch us. So we should be getting a large chunk of that because we're the reasons why this business is so profitable. Why revenues have increased 17 straight years. But instead, the owners are paying them back by lowering their salaries, slashing payroll, and trying to save as much money as possible. So that's why, you know, again, I, I agree and I hear what Nick is saying. I do, and I understand the pride aspect. I do. But I think when it, when it comes to now, when push comes to shove, when it comes to a shortened season, when trying to get... Um, as you know, trying to get their point across, I think it hurts them to take less money to play in a shortened year than in trying to get about as much money as possible now in 2020 and then use that as a springboard to try to, you know, harden their negotiations, harden their stance so that 2021 comes, they won't be, they'll be, you know, be able to go to the table and push back and the owners will actually listen to them. Manny Olivo, I hope I spelled that right, Manny, or I said that right, said owners are greedy. The players that are making money are hurting the players that aren't making much. This is, this is interesting because it is – this is why I've almost thought of a salary cap being a good thing for Major League Baseball is that it is so top-heavy. Where, like we said, you know, the average annual salary for Major League Baseball, $4.4 million. It's dropped the last two years. You've had, you know, you had one player um, claim that 65% of Major League Baseball players make under a million dollars. And you could see a lot, of, a lot of the teams are now vying for youth in the draft, bringing up young players that are cheap and controllable, overpaying free agents. So the free agent market has really dried out, and it's become a scary, scary place. Unless you're, again, top of the top, 
one of the best players overall in baseball, you're not making a lot of money for agency. So that's why I would be interested to see if a salary cap where you kind of lessen those ginormous contracts, lessen a Mike Trout contract, lessen a Manny Machado or Bryce Harper contract, but maybe raise the floor of the minimum teams have to spend, that could be a benefit to the middle class, which is what you heard David Sampson, we had him on last week, basically say the middle class is the one that's hurting the most from these negotiations and from what baseball has been, what's been happening with baseball these last few, uh, few years negotiation-wise. The richest keep getting richer. Garrett Cole is not shy in taking and signing a deal that pays him $36 million a year. Same with Steven Strasburg. Same with Manny Machado. And again, it's going to be a Mookie Betts next year. So the rich keep getting richer. They deserve all that money. Don't get me wrong. But it's the middle class, those pretty good players, that are now getting phased out for younger talent. And now those are the real ones that are hurting, which I actually think, you know, salary cap, that's where I do think it could help more players than it would hurt. I understand that's one of those those words you hear, whether it's Tony Clark, the head of the MLBPA, um, basically, you know, shudder and, and say anything close to salary cap is a, no, is a non-starter. No way. Don't try to cap how much money we can make. But I also think part of it, when you look at with the NFL, with the NBA, with the NHL, the NBA and the NHL specifically, I understand they play most of their, their time already, right? This, most of the season has been completed, but they have restart. Um, they're still restarting. They still have to work out the contract for how much players are going to get paid. I do think part of it, the reason why those negotiations have been so smooth is because the revenue sharing and because there's a salary cap. So there is a, there's a legitimate excuse as to why teams can't pay players. Listen, if the NBA loses revenue this year and the salary cap goes down, well, we can't pay you this massive contract because guess what? Now we're over the cap, and now we legally can't pay, give you all this money because we, we are not allowed to go over this number. The salary cap is $100 million, and you have players on your team that are making 120 Some of them have to get a pay cut. Some of them have to get traded. You're just not allowed to go over it. So there's a legitimate excuse as to why owners and why GMs can't give out certain amounts of money. Baseball is the only one that has that. And there's a luxury tax that pseudo acts like a salary cap, but it is an excuse as to owners of saying, I don't want to pay this tax. I don't want to do it. And it's been a default salary cap, but without having that legitimate excuse, you can't, you know, it's hard to vilify players for wanting more money when there's technically you can get as much money as you want. I actually do think a salary cap would benefit would benefit baseball, would help the middle class, would help the lower class of players. And more importantly, too, I think it would help labor relations. Baseball is a sport where it's, it's ugly. As we see, it's playing out publicly. This happens all the time. 1994, the strike drove a lot of people away. And that was during a normal time. Imagine there's no baseball in 2020 with everything else going on because of finances. Now, it's not going to happen, but if we play 50 games... It's going, to feel, it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel illegitimate in my eyes, and that hurts the game. So, yes, yeah, so it, it's, it's a tough paradox because it's, you know, you, you want the players to get as much money as possible. I'm not siding with ownership at all. But I think we'll go back to the point Nick made on Facebook here that they are trying to, you know, carry pride, not trying to screw themselves over, try to send a message to the owners, which I just... I think it's short-sighted. I don't think it's the right approach, personally. 
you have a deal that's out there that gives you more money in the end, I think you take it. And you take it and use that as when you galvanize the players. Because so far, through these negotiations, everything you hear publicly is that the players are, on the, are all together. The player making the minimum salary, despite him you know, not taking too much of a pay cut, he's siding with the players that are getting you know, at the top of the food chain. He's siding with the Mike Trouts and the Steven Strasburgs and the Max Scherzers and the Bryce Harpers. Even though they're, they're the ones taking the massive pay cut, compared to what a minimum salary player, and despite that the minimum salary players far outnumber the players at the top of the food chain, they're all, they're all uniform, they're all together fighting the same battle. I think that you can take that right there. The unification, the galvanization from these, from these uh, from negotiations. Bottle that up after 2021. Use it, unleash it, and then for real, take the owners to task, take them to town, and if you got to start the season late, so be it. That's the time for me, at least. You put pride, and you put pride as the main focus over money. For 2020, I personally would prioritize money in this, in this scenario. As many games as possible, make as much money as you can. Which I think the owners, I mean, excuse me, the players are, are kind of siding more what Nick said about, um, about you know, justifying and kind of focusing on pride more uh, – more than actual money. We'll finish up with this. Manny writes in one more time on Facebook. This is also hurting the minor leagues as well. If there's no baseball, the minor leaguers don't get their opportunity to develop and improve so they can try to make it to the majors. Manny's right. And also Manny, I mean, to undersell your point, minor leaguers are already hurt. Even before the pandemic started, even before the coronavirus put the baseball season on halt, Major League Baseball is actively trying to cut down on the minor leagues, reduce it, have less players in their system. And they're trying to chop about 40 teams or so out of minor league baseball. So minor leagues is already getting hurt. And whether that's because to try to make up for the lack of revenue coming in, because player salaries are too high, whether that's the owners, again, just trying to cut corners and save as much money as possible. Minor league is already getting hurt. And as we see, week after week, we see plenty of teams either not paying their minor leaguers in full or flat out not paying them at all. It is very ugly in Major League Baseball compared to any other sport. It's playing out right now. And it's sad that it's, you know, we're, we are all kind of the victims of it because we're going to get le- less baseball because of it one way or another. So I hope the players, again, kind of see, prioritize money in this aspect, in this specific instance, try to get a good deal, get baseball back on the field, 82, 75, 70 games I would take. I think anything less than 70 or 65 would be um, illegitimate. But right now, we're heading to a path of 50 games, full prorated salary, less postseason. And we're basically going to, you know, force these two sides to get together in a compromise neither one wants. That's a state state of baseball right now. It's a sad one. It's an ugly one. Um, But we will keep on monitoring it for you. Hopefully we get a deal sooner rather than later. Again, June 11th, the clock is ticking. September 27th is a hard deadline for the owners. They're not playing regular season games past that because they're concerned about a second wave. The longer the Major League Baseball season goes, the higher risk of the season not being completed. Postseason money is still a lot of money. They want all that money. Obviously, they won't get it. The postseason can't even be played or can't be completed. Every day that ticks, less and less baseball will be played, which is a shame for everyone. So when we come back, we're going to hit on, on uh, 
on players kneeling. I apologize. We, we missed it. We'll get to that quick. And also, 2020 or Apocalypse, we have the most confident contestant yet. We'll see how he does on 2020 or Apocalypse coming up here in a few. And the morning boys riding here return right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Hey, welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. A little bit of a different, depressing show, I'll say. A Monday show was, I really tried to be as optimistic as possible, talking about change that could happen. Um, socially through sports and some of the things that we've seen, some of the players speaking out, whether it's at Iowa or other college football, whether it was Roger Goodell's um, video that he put out on Friday night, basically apologizing for um, for not listening to the players four years ago about police brutality, basically ushering them out um, and silencing them when they wanted to protest police brutality and realizing four years later we were wrong. That was an optimistic show. This has been anything but optimistic as players and owners continue to fight over over money. As Beth writes on Facebook, I think she said it perfectly. She's learning so much about Major League Baseball, and it's so ugly. It's ugly. It is really ugly. It's not a good look at all, and it's been tough for a sport that we all love. Um, we just hope at this point that they can come together on some sort of agreement um, and that eventually we'll get baseball sooner rather than later. But it does not look good at all. Um, like I said, you're seeing a lot of the ugliness, a lot of the behind-the-scenes arguments that go on in the, in the other sports behind the scenes. See it out in the open. You see really, truly how much of a business professional sports are and how ugly it can truly get when finances are involved. Um, so we'll still take your thoughts on Facebook. You guys have really contributed a lot. It was awesome. Great conversation. Um, we'll still continue to read those, whether it's on Facebook, World Wide Sports Radio Network. So you want to shoot us a tweet, WWSRN underscore radio. Read those throughout the show. We do have 2020 Apocalypse, the most confident man. Again, that is very excited about, about playing. Uh, we'll get to that in a second here. I do want to quickly just get your thoughts. Would you be okay with NFL players kneeling for the National Anthem in 2020? Has your stance on that changed since 2016, 2017, basically three or four years ago when it first started by Colin Kaepernick? Jason Lockenfour of CBS Sports wrote a great article on Tuesday, and in it he wrote that basically he spoke to many former and current players and they believe because of Roger Goodell's video on, that he put out last Friday, and because of the line that he said in it, that I protest with you, he thinks, and he writes that many players believe that Roger Goodell will take a knee either at the game with players if he's allowed to travel at the first game or whenever he's allowed to travel, he will take a knee with players to show unity that we are in this with you, we have your back. Police brutality, but more importantly, social justice, social injustice cannot be tolerated, and we have your back. This is a huge step because you also wrote in there, he doesn't believe the NFL will sanction or discourage players from taking a knee. It's important to remember, 2018, there's a rule that required players to stand up for the anthem. If they're on the field, now they allowed players, if they didn't want to stand up, to be in the locker room. But a rule is put in place and passed unanimously by the owners that if you're on the field for the national anthem, you are required to stand or you could be fined. So think about that. Now you look at the NFL stance and you hear Roger Goodell talk. Uh, about how he's going to protest with the players. I think this is a great move. My stance on kneeling personally has changed. I've done a complete 180, to be honest. I think it's a smart move for the NFL. I think it's good. And I think it's good for the players to be allowed to and actually use that platform for good to bring awareness. I think they should need. It's four years ago, back 2016. Many of us, including myself, missed the message. A lot of us jumped on the bandwagon of it's disrespecting the military, show some respect. You know, the veterans 
disrespecting them. Players tried to explain that they weren't disrespecting the military. They tried to explain that this is just for social injustice. The military is not involved. The country's, you know, we believe it could be a better place. Nothing to do with the military, nothing to do with patriotism. We want to bring awareness to social injustices that are happening on our soil, in our country, that we want to fix. But we didn't listen. We saw it as military, military, military. That was it. Obviously, we know how divisive it was. People stopped watching the NFL. It would, be, it would get real nasty. We what people would either call in and say, or write on social media. All the while, Nate Boyer, former NFL player, former also U.S. Army Green Beret, was actually the one who told Colin Kaepernick to take a knee instead of sitting down. It's less disrespectful if you just take a knee, because originally Colin Kaepernick was sitting on the bench. So just take a knee. It'll be okay. So you had a Green Beret advising Colin Kaepernick how to, uh, how to approach trying to take a stand and stand up for something. But again, we didn't listen. We didn't understand it. And I think now, four years later, with the benefit of hindsight, the benefit of, of almost having our eyes opened, and kneeling would be a good and way to, uh, to bring about some change. Because guess what? I think now, when you actually see the injustice, when you actually see it, whether it's on videos, whether it's now you see the, the support through protests all throughout the country, of all different races, all different backgrounds participating and trying to improve and erase social injustice, try to get the laws to apply to everyone equally. I think it's hard if players take a knee in 2020 to hijack the message, to have it be misconstrued, misconstrued, excuse me, and then have it thus take away from the actual message. Right? That's happened four years ago. The actual message of police brutality, of social injustice, was completely lost. Completely missed, not recognized. It's all about kneeling. It's all about the military. It's all about Colin Kaepernick, whether he's wearing pick socks, whether he's wearing a Fidel Castro shirt. A lot of the message was lost and lost early. But I think now, because you heard about it so much, we actually saw it through social media. I think less people will be upset. Uh, I think less people will be upset. It's a bold statement to say that because as, as we know, we see this culture, people get upset, get frustrated with almost anything. And it's hard to get people to agree on almost anything. So I'm going out a little bit of a limb here. But I do think less people will be upset about it than they were four years ago because now they understand what players take a need. They see the social injustices that are happening and want to fix it, want to change. And more importantly, I'll finish up with this, why I think it's a good idea. Ron Rivera, the Redskins head coach, now former Panthers coach, came out on Wednesday and said that he will support his players if they decide to take a knee during the national anthem. He said he understands why, because it's about police brutality, it's about social injustice, it has nothing to do with the military, nothing to do with patriotism. Now, why is it important that Ron Rivera, of all people, say this? Not only is he a head coach, but his father was a commissioned officer in the U.S. Army. So here's another person from a military background understanding, hey, this is not about the military. They're trying to protest something else. They're trying to bring awareness to a, a, an issue here in this country that they want fixed. And that we have to listen to that message and see it for what it is, not try to take it and um, have it try to mean something else. So I'm just curious for your thoughts. Would you be okay with players kneeling during the national anthem this season? I would personally. I think it would be a good move. I think it would be a smart move. I think it would be a way to continue to uh, continue the conversation. That's the biggest thing you have to worry about, right? It's just everything that goes on. If we get back to normal, we forget about it, and then we're back here in a year, two years, six months. We see how fast a news cycle travels. We hyper, we hyper focus. We're hypersensitive to one issue for two, three, four days, maybe a few weeks. 
then it's like we put all this energy into one thing, we get tired, we move on to the next thing. What else can get our attention? What else can hold, hold us? I think it's a good way, it's, it's a great way for athletes to use our platform to keep reminding everyone this is still a major issue in this country. This is not going to get fixed overnight. It's not going to get fixed with one protest or one law or one vote. It's going to be continue to be need to be worked on for years and years and years. I think it's a great way to continue to raise awareness and have us not forget the true issues that go on. So let's get your thoughts. If your stance has changed at all in these last four years, so get your thoughts. When we come back, like I said, the most confident man so far to get ready to play 2020 or apocalypse. We'll see how he does when the morning boys rock a return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is 1020. You hear the game show music. You know what that means. It is time for 2020 or Apocalypse. And I'm very excited to have on our next guest, our next contestant. Just talking to him in the break, I told you, he, I hyped up the show. He's the most confident person we've had yet so far. Everyone I've reached out to, always nervous. Oh, man, I hope I get one right. The goal is always just get one right. Nervous about coming on. Not this man. I'm driving in. I got a text from him. He's canceled this morning. He's studying. He's ready to go. Just talking to him on the phone, he is revved up. None other than the next Brian Marzo will be our next participant. Brian, what's going on this morning? Is he there? This guy. This guy hangs up. Similar, unbelievable. Similar to his friend, ironic enough. When we had Misko on the show last week, literally the same thing. They're friends, both with the same issue. Let's try to get him on live here. Let's see what the hell happens. Yo, yo. Yo, Marzo, what happened, man? We, we, what do you mean? We, we tossed to you. We're ready to go. All of a sudden, I had this nice introduction. You're the most confident man we've had. You're texting me <laughs> this morning saying, you know, you, you canceled your morning plans. You're studying all these these headlines. I'm like, oh, here oh he is, God. the great Brian Marzo. Crickets, crickets. Like, what, well, the, what the hell? I don't know, man. Well, we're going to blame technology. I didn't realize. I thought we were supposed to hang up. I thought you were calling it from a different line, man. I guess I wasn't too confident overall. Oh, I, I apologize. No, we have a, um, a very makeshift phone system here where I, I plug my phone in. So my phone really is, is the hotline if you want to reach a show. So uh, I, I apologize for that miscommunication. But I, I, I thought you good, I thought you got cold feet for a second. You know, you're talking a big game. And I thought you got cold Hold feet, on. but I'm glad that's not the case. No, no, no. That's never going to be the case. I still think – I think the record is four for five. I'm coming in <laughs> looking for the fiver. Um, I feel good, man. Like I said before, 2020 in the apocalypse, there's really no difference. So let's get ready to rock and roll. That, that, you had a very inspirational speech. You say you wake up every morning embracing it's going to be that the worst day you ever had, and when your head hits the pillow, you realize it's not that bad. That is, that's a hell of a way to think during this time. This is something I've been – brought up with ever since I was a little kid. So you can imagine how bleak the Marzo household can be with that train <laughs> of thought. But look, you know, we are in a, we're in weird times before. And like I said, the stock market's bad right now. But I, the way I look at that, just more room for opportunity. So <laughs> who knows? This could be a question today. That, no stock market questions today, but I should have put that in. It's a perfect time to buy 
<laughs> you are you are funny. Are you ready to roll for number one? Let's do it, man. All right. A Myanmar court has sentenced a man to 21 months in jail after he insulted Buddhist monks on Facebook over a proposal to teach sex education in public schools. Is that real? Is a man actually in jail because he insulted Buddhist monks on Facebook, or is that apocalypse? I think it could be almost like semi-ironic. I don't know if Buddhist monks utilize Facebook. That would probably be my first question of whether or not that's true. But, you know, I'm going to say it's – I think it is accurate. I think it is actually happening in 2020 because, you know, the public school system, they're going to have problems with sex ed regardless of uh, what year it is. <laughs> so 2020 is your final answer? Yes. You would be correct, sir. That is a, that is a real headline. That's a real thing. The city of Mandalay outlawed, inst, uh, outlawed insulting religion. And because this man derided the monks – um, who were opposed to the sex education proposal on Facebook. I guess the government must be monitoring Facebook, saw these comments, and arrested him. So now you he's in 21 surprised. months in jail. <laughs> well, I feel like, surprised. you know, maybe because we're in you know, free speech in this country, you think no way someone's going to write some stuff on Facebook and get almost two years in jail. I mean, you go on Facebook, you see some nasty stuff. You see some stuff way worse than just insulting some monks over maybe, you know, whether to teach sex, sex ed or not. But people, no one goes to jail. So I'd have a tough time. If I heard that, I think I would probably say apocalypse, to be honest, because there's no way anyone would go to jail over Facebook. But you know what? It's real. Here we are. 2020, baby. 2020. If you go to Mandalay, do not insult those monks, man, or you will be in <laughs> no jail way. for a while. Look at that. You're one for one. You're cruising. You ready for number two? Let's rock. A new study from Harvard recommends that couples wear a mask while having sex to prevent the spread of COVID-19. 2020 or apocalypse? I pray it's the apocalypse. <laughs> um, I, I got a, you know, Harvard. I would consider them to be just a tier below Delaware, but they know their things. So of course. I'm going to say that I'll, I'll go with that. It's apocalypse. That can't be real. You know what they do say? They do say Harvard is the Delaware of the Northeast. Honestly, I, I think that that's what they do say. I've never met anyone from Harvard. They don't really run in the same circle as me, but um, I can't imagine that anyone's wearing an N90, N95 mask uh, while having intercourse. So, Well, maybe, you know, it is Harvard. So like I said, they're a tier below Delaware. But this, <laughs> this study is true, and this is a real recommendation. This is 2020. Couples You're wear masks. I am dead serious. Dead serious. They, they, were, they recommend if you're having intercourse with your partner who does not quarantine with you, wear, wear a mask. Wear an N95 mask. And the best part is that this is a real story. You ready for this? The trick question. I feel like it's from the office. Said very risky to have sex with someone you aren't quarantining with. What is the safest way to to do so? Sorry, this oh my is, God. I'm asking you. Sorry, I apologize. It's, <laughs> it's not part. It's not part of the. It's this is not part of the uh, 22 apocalypse game. But this is a question within the question. They do recommend yeah. the safest way of having intercourse with someone you aren't quarantining with. What is the safest way to do so? I'm gonna have to. I got a pass, man. I don't know if there's a right way to answer that question. <laughs> well, okay, fair. Abstinence. That, that's no joke. That's the answer. Is that what they said? They said the, sa it. the safest way, abstinence. I, I cannot stand that question. Also, I thought you said just in general. I didn't realize that it was someone that you're not currently quarantined with. I oh, think if I had fully I heard that part, I think I would have gotten it right. But for the sake of the game, I am at 50% which is, I think, I, I can't win now. I'm never going to be the first to actually get all, all the questions correct. I, I apologize for the, for the misword there. Um, 
Maybe maybe we'll get we do have an extra question. Maybe we'll if you get four to five, maybe we'll let you go with perfect because you're right. You can still get first place, but so far at least no one has got a perfect score. But I'm not losing. I'm not losing to Drew, Lauren, and Maldi. I refuse to. Well, you already well Maldi, you're already tied with. You should be good, and <laughs> so we'll see. We ready for number three? Let's see if we can get you there to work your way up to get to Lauren. You ready for number three? Mm-hmm. A city councilor was forced to break chopstick chopsticks with his butt after he lost a bet in which he said a mayor running in a recent election wouldn't receive 400,000 votes. Is this a real thing where he actually lost the bet because more voters turned out than he thought and thus had to break chopstick with his butt? Or is this apocalypse this would never happen? I got to know first, how does one break chopsticks with their butt? That is something that I just, for some reason, I'm having a hard time conceptualizing, nor do I want to actually do that. Um, and where did it take place? What state? Uh, this is actually in Taiwan. So not in the U.S. This would be in Taiwan. I'm going to go that it's not true. I feel like, so I'm saying apocalypse. I think that that would be something a drunken American would do. (laughs) Um, you know, if they're, you know, cameras on them, I think that that's something that would take place. I feel like Taiwan. No, I'm going to say it's an apocalypse. That is 2020, sir. A Taipei city councilor had to break 53 chopsticks, not just one. 53 on camera with his butt after 939,000 votes were cast. So he said the bars, no way they'll receive more than 400. Over double that came in. And I guess it's like every, you know, there's a certain amount of vote. Every 10,000 votes, let's say, there was one chopstick. So that's how it added up to 53 chopsticks. I did watch a little bit of the video, to be completely honest. (laughs) I knew you would. (laughs) Um, He basically tried to spread his butt cheeks out as wide as possible. And I don't know if the chopsticks were regulation. Maybe they were a little bit shorter. Maybe they were chopped in half. And then he would basically just clench his butt cheeks as hard as possible and, and break them. It, didn't look, it did not look comfortable. It did not look fun. But this is a real if, story. You can Google it. If I were it. to wake up, I, I might. I think I have to now at this point. But if I were to tell you when I woke up this morning that I would be talking about someone chopping, <laughs> breaking chopsticks with their butt, I would have said that. That's just BS. It would have never happened, but here we are, 2020. 2020, man. Great. All right, man, one for three. You sprinkle in a pandemic. You sprinkle in uh, You sprinkle in basically everything that could possibly go wrong in 2020, and that's how you land with city councilors breaking chopsticks on video with their butts. That's... This would be the year, though, that the Knicks win, too, though. Watch. I bet. Somehow the Knicks will end up winning the actual NBA championship through 2020. Just the only way it can happen. Everything's upside down. What, what's black is white. What is up is down. It's, it's, been a, it's been a wild year for sure. Speaking of which, we'll continue the weirdness. Ready for number four. This one is your neck of the woods right here. Oh, boy. Let's go. Crime in New York City is down through the first four months of 2020 compared to 2019. So we're not going to count the protests. So just January sure. through April, crime is down through the first four months of 2020 compared to that same time period in 2019. So it could be broken up into two different questions. Are we talking about misdemeanor or are we talking about felony? <laughs> but for the sake of crime, um, let's just say... Overall I crime. Mean, we'll lump it into one. Holy overall cow. Overall crime. <laughs> let's say... Man. There's different ways to classify crime, though, and what probably... Um, I'm going to say that it is... Let's go... We're not talking about apocalypse. petty crime, so it's we're, we're going to talk about real it's crime. It's the apocalypse. It's the apocalypse. I can't imagine that there's more crime this year than there was last year. All right, hold on. So let me just rephrase the question before before you get your real answer. So I'm saying the, the oh, question okay. is crime in New York City is down through the first four months of 2020 compared to 2019. 
Oh, I'm going to say that is true. That is false. Yeah, there it is. Crime is actually up 2.6%. Burglaries and carjackings were the two ones on the rise compared to last year. I get your thinking. I mean, you would think everyone's at home. Really, what is there to break into if everyone's at home? But I guess you're right. I guess cars and burgers or stores are the, you know, people aren't there. They're going to try to break in. Damn. So what I've learned is that I'm not good at this game. That is something that has become evident. But, um, hey, at least I haven't been broken into or that's true. crime committed against my cars. That is true. That's a small little win. There's a big one. One for four. One for four so far, although I'll give number two is a little of an asterisk. I do have an extra question that I kind of put in last, so maybe we'll give you a break here and try to let you go uh, one more. Because I I, I didn't mean to, I don't try to uh, trick. I just try to keep it as simple as possible. So maybe question was a little little out there, so we'll give you an extra one. Ready for number five? Yep. California. Tanning beds are considered essential businesses, and local leaders are encouraging the use of the salons over sunbathing at the beaches to limit the number of people at the beach. 2020 or apocalypse? 2020. That is not true. That is thankfully the apocalypse. Tanning salons are not considered essential businesses. And despite the beaches being closed for sunbathers, um, they're not encouraging the use of going to a, to a tanning salon. So that is not, not real. I'm sorry well, about I guess- that. No, it's okay. I mean, you wouldn't catch me at either one. You know that about me. <laughs> yes. Um, I think if I were to spend more than 30 seconds in a tanning bed, I would officially just need to be rushed to the emergency room. But I think it's probably good that tanning beds are not considered essential business. But all right, one for five. We are officially on the bottom of the totem pole where I deserve to be. I do I'll, I'll throw, I do have a sixth question here. I, I want to throw out. Uh, number two, again, I feel it's a little misleading. You said you would answer differently if I included a, um, a specific in there, which I did not. So I'll, I'll tell, we, we'll revoke number two. You ready for the, the bonus number six here? And you're also yeah. the only person who ever got a bonus question, by the way. All so right, feel, losers round. Here it is. Feel, feel special. <laughs> a Miami plastic surgeon is offering drive through Botox for quarantine residents in his garage. 2020 or Apocalypse? I really hope that is the apocalypse. I really hope. Um, I'm going 2020. I think someone's doing it. That's a business model there. That is a business model. That is one you crushed. It is 2020. One yeah. uh, one Botox said he was sitting in, in, in a line <laughs> somewhere, like, I guess, waiting for food. He goes, realized, hey, everyone's wearing masks. We Botox in the forehead. Boom. Started the business, and now he runs it out of his garage. So if you're in Florida, good news. You need those Botox treatments. I don't know how long. Do you know how long you have to go? How long does it last for? A few months? For Botox? Yeah, I have no clue. It's definitely not one of those know, one you and could, done sort of things. You can see I don't know much about these kind of things based off of my one for five answers. So What were you, uh, what were you studying today? What's that? So what were you studying today? I wasn't studying anything. I had a call at this point. I got a call in five minutes. Oh, well, you, you said you, you, know, you, you were studying this morning. You're getting ready to go. Oh, I was yeah. I was studying the newspapers, man. I was reading up quickly. Uh, through a couple couple of headlines, none of them was actually asked from anything here in New York. I should have taken out my Taiwan uh, my Taiwan reporter, but next time. All right. Well, I, I uh, and I try not to do anything recent because I feel like it's almost too easy. So these are all over the place. But <laughs> Marzo, two out of five. You tied Drew. Talked a big game. We, we appreciate the confidence. We love the confidence. But we appreciate you playing, man. Go crush. Uh, go crush your call. Thanks for playing. All right. Thanks, Nick. Good work. And, yes, I'm happy at least that I tied Drew and that I didn't lose to Drew. The short guys stick together, all right? (laughs)
<laughs> the short guys stick together. That is a great way to uh, to end right there. We appreciate Marzo playing. Two out of five. So Lauren, who's in first place, Sarah, who's in first place, and do, 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 do. oh man, I apologize. After I'm blanking, someone else is in first place. I apologize. Jeez. Hopefully not listening. Um, they are in first place. Mike, Nick, and then my other friend Mike are also in second place. Three out of five. So currently six people in the money so far. Um, Facebook is not happy. I just want to clarify one thing here. Nick writes in these recycling questions. Use that on me too. I got it right. You're damn right on recycling questions. Now, I'm not recycling actual 2020 questions. I will admit I'm ex- recycling apocalypse questions because it's a lot harder to make up headlines that sound real than you think. So to be honest, I'm not going to lie. I was exhausted last night, very tired. And I was like, oh, man, I really, my brain was not working. I got to think of some things. I don't want to make it too easy to where I'm just like, oh, you know, frogs now are real people. I, I couldn't think of anything creative on the spot. So I'm not going to lie. I went back to old shows. I saw some apocalypse, and I took two of the fake ones. The last two questions um, were recycled, both fake. I would never recycle real questions, but Nick did catch me on recycling questions. So if you're listening, just think. If you're listening and you want to play, you have an advantage the longer you listen if you're listening intently because then you can see, hear some of these questions, hear the answer, get the right answer, and then go from there um, and get the answer. So – Marzo, we appreciate him coming on. Two out of five. We'll, we'll cancel number two. I apologize. I didn't mean to be too, too tricky there. Sorry for giving. Two out of five. He does tie his friend Drew um, for second to last place as Colleen and Maldi are still dead last at one each. Cody writes in, when can he get on? He's coming for the crown. Cody, we'll have Cody on on Monday. Mr. NFL himself, he wants to play. Um, a five out of five. Still out there. A perfect score still out there. Would vault you into first place. Automatically put you in the money. And we have yet to have a perfect score so far, which I hope means that I've been doing a good job at, uh, at picking questions and, and trying to make them believable or not. But uh, we appreciate Marzo playing. It was a lot of fun. I said, he can't, as you could hear, a lot of confidence. Canceled this morning to study, and uh, that did not do much. But we do appreciate We love his enthusiasm. love his confidence. We do appreciate coming on. It was a lot of fun. We appreciate Marzo for, uh, for joining in. When we come back, we'll finish up with Reggie Bush, back where he belongs finally. And we'll discuss why that is and why it's a good thing for not just USC, but overall for college football. When the morning boys are on, he can return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's time to wake up with the morning boys. On Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Wrapping up here on a Thursday morning. We appreciate Brian Marzo coming on and playing 2020 or Apocalypse. There's still some frustration in the comment section here about a sixth question. Again, my goal is never to trick. My goal is only to give headlines that sound real that are fake and sound fake that are real. There's no deception. There's no trying tricky word where, oh, I didn't say this one word, so that's why you get it wrong. So there, there's a controversy here. That is brewing that one of the questions I asked that Marzo said, oh, if I heard that word, if I knew that this was part of the study, I would have answered differently. So I felt that I didn't mean to, you know, trick him. I didn't mean to withhold information on purpose. So I gave him an extra question. And whether it's Colleen, whether it's Lauren, they're not happy that Marzo got a sixth and pity question that he did get right. It was not a pity question. I happened to find something else I thought was funny and threw it on in there at the end, not knowing that he would get tricked up and, uh, and try to give him an extra question. 
people are ruthless, I'm telling you. Try to be a nice guy here. This is a fun show. And uh, figures that the, the girl at the top of the standings, who was going to be unaffected by Marzo, whether he got it right or wrong anyway, is upset. And figured, of course, makes sense. Colleen bottomed the standings, one out of five, wanting, you know, company, misery loves company, um, wanting Marzo to, uh, to come on and join her and Maldi in the one out of five club. Um, not happy that Marzo got a sixth question, but hey, what can we say? You know, we try to be fair here. That's what the show is all about, being fair. Um, and Colleen is still salty um, about one question that she claims to be tricked on about Amazon being the highest gainer during the pandemic. Zoom. That's all I got to say. Zoom, man. Everyone's zooming. Got to realize that Amazon, not the one that's making the most money. She still to this day, despite being on almost a month ago, very upset. But like I said, Marzo, two out of five. We're officially two out of five. Some people want to say two out of six. One out of five. Marzo got two out of five. Ty Drew um, in that aspect as well. So we appreciate Marzo coming on. A lot of fun. A lot of energy. A lot of confidence from him. Unfortunately, that did not result in a 5 out of 5 perfect score. We are still looking for that perfect score. You want to join, you want to play, reach out, let me know. We'll get you on the show, and we'll try to have you go 5 for 5 and be in the money to try to win um, top two prizes or top two finishers do, do get a prize. So right now that is if you get four questions right or three questions right, you're in the money, and we are looking for the next contestant for Monday. So let me know. We'll have some more fun, and we'll continue this, uh, this charade as long as it goes on because, as Marzo said, 2020 every day feels like the apocalypse. More and more content comes out, so we have plenty of more content to go along um, and ask about because there's just been some wacky, wacky stuff that's gone on this year. And we're only, think about it, we're only halfway through, not even halfway through. Still some crazy stuff that can happen on um, these final six months. So this game will continue as long as we get the content or as long as I have the friends, one or the other. Probably the friends are going to end first, to be honest, um, before the content does because it's just been wild so far in 2020. So we do appreciate Marzo coming on and having a few uh, – a little few laughs there for sure. But I do want to end, um, end the show here with Reggie Bush being back where he belongs. And if you missed it yesterday, USC was finally allowed to accept Reggie Bush, embrace Reggie Bush in official capacity, and have him back in their family. And if you missed it or didn't really know what that means, USC disassociated themselves from Reggie Bush back in 2010 as part of sanctions that included a two-year bull ban. They vacated 14 wins, including the national title that they won in 2004, and they lost 30 scholarships over three years. And this is all because Reggie Bush, during his time at USC, Reggie Bush and his family accepted money, excuse me, accepted travel expenses, and even had a house in San Diego that did not, they did not pay for. So, you know, Reggie Bush and his family got money because he was the best college player I've ever seen, the best college player maybe ever. And his family got, you know, some kickbacks, got some money from some folks. And because the NC cracked down, again, vacated victories, took away the national title, gave USC a two-year bowl ban. US, uh, Reggie Bush actually gave his Heisman Trophy back to the Heisman Trophy Trust. And USC was forced to disassociate themselves, basically saying, we cut ourselves off from Reggie Bush. We can't acknowledge that he was on the team. We can't have his Heisman Trophy here. We, if we put his stats in a media guide or reference his stats, we have to put an asterisk next to him. His jersey is not allowed to be retired. And finally, this happened in 2010. It happened on June 10th, 2010 to be exact. The NCAA back in 2017 put a new rule and basically saying, if you are disassociated, if you have a, a, a player that whatever broke the rules, that ban for disassociation can only be 10 years. After 10 years, you're allowed to do whatever you want. If USC didn't want to be associated with Reggie Bush, they didn't have to be. They could have just kept that ban on infinitely and just not bring it back. But 
and the NCAA was allowing USC to bring Reggie Bush back if they wanted. And USC did not waste any time. They brought Reggie Bush back, and now Reggie Bush can finally, hopefully, get his Heisman Trophy back. We can finally, uh, at least official capacity, acknowledge all the accomplishments, all the talent that Reggie Bush had. And again, finally put him in that great lore of those great USC teams, finally put him back in the mix in official capacity, have him go to campus, have USC use Reggie Bush as a recruiting tool, saying, hey, look, look, Reggie Bush, look what we did with him. You could be the next guy to do that. They weren't even allowed to do that. And it brings me back to one of the dumbest, one of the worst punishments the NCAA has. And if you're a Seinfeld fan, you'll get this reference. But if you listen to the show or if you, if you know me and my stance on the NCAA, I have a lot of problems with the NCAA. If this was Festivus, I would take hours to express my grievances and tell you how many issues I have with the NCAA, how they police, whether it's student-athletes not looking out for their best intentions, withholding pay, basically doing whatever they can to take as much money away from student-athletes and put it in their own pockets as possible. I have a ton of problems with the NCAA. On top of all of that, one of the dumbest punishments that they do a lot of dumb things, they do a lot of illogical things, they do a lot of things that drive you crazy, that make zero sense. One of the worst things that they do, though, on top of everything, is this idea that they have that vacating wins, vacating national titles, vacating Heisman trophies actually has some sort of impact. Like, all of a sudden now, they vacated 14 wins, including the 2004 National Championship, the USC one, because Reggie Bush accepted money. He didn't take performance testing drugs. He didn't do anything that gave USC an advantage on the field. Right? That's different. They're somehow cheating if they're able to tap into, let's say, what the defenses were calling at the time. They're able to, again, take drugs that player, other players weren't taking that helped them get faster, get stronger. That's one thing. Taking money, having a house in San Diego, having no impact actually on the field. I have a tough time taking away wins, seeing the greatness that we watched with the USC during that time. And that takes a lot for me to say. Growing up, I was a diehard Notre Dame fan, so I hated USC. Hated USC, hated Reggie Bush, hated Matt Leiter, hated that entire team because every year they would crush Notre Dame. And the one year is close, they, they beat him in a heartbreaking fashion with Reggie Bush pushing Matt Leiner, controversially, should be illegally, into the end zone. As you can see, I'm still not over yet. But it's one of the dumbest things the NCAA does because they think that vacating wins, whether it's vacating national titles, whether it's taking away Louisville, Louisville's national title when they won in Rick Pitino, whether it's vacating Joe Paterno's wins, whether it's vacating Notre Dame's wins when they had um, some academic help. It doesn't help to erase history. It doesn't really have really any sort of impact at all when we saw it happen. We can't watch a game then the next day or next year or two years from now come out and say, oh, you know what, that game technically didn't count. The game, ah, you know, you know what, they were cheating, they got some money on the side, Reggie Bush got a $100 handshake, doesn't count. We're, you're vacating that title. That's why you can't technically hang a banner. Outside of that, we saw USC win the title. We saw USC be one of the best teams in 2004. We saw Reggie Bush be the best player in 2005 and win the Heisman Trophy. So what, what, why, is it, why are you trying to erase accomplishments, or I should say quote-unquote erase accomplishments that on paper may take away, but other than that, we all have it burned in our memory. We all know Reggie Bush, and we still associate him with being a Heisman Trophy winner, despite him handing it back. 
We still associate with USC having one of the best dynasties ever in sports. I mean, they had a 30 for 30. They ran at Troy. They didn't just block out the 2004 season. Like, it didn't happen. They didn't discuss 2003, skip over 2004 when they won, and then go to 2005 when they had that great season that lost to Texas in the eventual national title game. We should talk about 2014. And we do this about any single team or player that's had their wins or accomplishments, quote-unquote, vacated. It drives me crazy that the NCAA thinks that they can just take a banner down and that justice is served. Could you imagine pro teams did this? I mean, think about it. Fans are desperate and clamming for an asterisk on the Astros. They actually cheated in a way that benefited them on the field, gave them and, you know, helped them win a World Series. Could you imagine if some players um, were getting money on the side, maybe doing an illegal deal, and all of a sudden now MLB, MLB took away the Astros World Series championship, not because they helped, they cheated on the field, not because that they had an advantage that no other team had, because players had a little bit of a side business where they make an extra money, zero impact on the field, they took that World Series away. We're still viewing the Astros, or any team you do that to, as World Series champions. The NCAA is the only one that thinks by taking away vacating titles by taking stuff away that actually has some sort of impact. Vacating those wins in 2014 is really going to teach these other schools a lesson. Don't cheat. Don't you dare cheat because we find you. Guess what? Those wins you had two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we're taking them away. Despite all of us watching it happen, despite if the coaches there are still knowing he won a national title, the rings aren't taking, you know, you don't get the rings back. So he doesn't do much. And all it does, to me, is hurt the schools and the NCAA overall instead of helping. Reggie Bush, like I said, to me, he was the greatest player I've ever seen play any sport. 25 years old, seen a lot of greats, you know, any sport you want to, uh, I was a big Peyton Manning fan, Tom Brady's still playing. We've all seen greatness in any sport you want to pick, right? LeBron James is playing right now, I was too young to, to watch Michael Jordan, but LeBron James right now is dominating basketball. Reggie Bush did his ability to just be so much better, so much faster, so much more athletic than anyone else on the field, no matter who they played. Something we might not ever see again. So it's ridiculous that USC had to pretend like he didn't exist for 10 years. The NCAA had to basically exist, that, pretend that he didn't exist for 10 years. Instead of marketing your sport built around Reggie Bush highlights, built around trying to get players to USC based on him, celebrating him, the NCAA had to just basically pretend that his career didn't exist. Reggie who? He never played college football. He never had one of the, you know, the best running backs ever with these dazzling highlight runs, insane juke moves, crazy speed, just Madden video game-like jukes. That didn't happen. Yesterday, my time, like I said, was flooded with Reggie Bush highlights, whether it's punt returns, whether it's runs, whether it's passes um, that he catches out of the backfield. All for long gains, all for touchdowns. It was great to watch. It was so much fun to watch. Those kind of accomplishments, those kind of plays should be celebrated. Not taken away, not pretending it didn't happen, not vacated. Because the NCAA, at the end of the day, is only hurting themselves. When you can't market, when you can't celebrate one of the best players to ever play your sport, when you can't embrace a certain part of history, despite the greatness that happened, despite the greatest, the greatness of the player, to me, it only hurts the sport. 
So now at least it's nice that USC can bring US uh, can bring Reggie Bush back into the fold. It's criminal. The first time Reggie Bush had to go back on a USC campus was last year as a member of Fox. That was the only reason why he was even allowed to be on campus. Because he was covering the game. USC was playing Utah on a Friday night. He was there covering the game with Fox's college football coverage. And they were doing the game, uh, the pregame live and the postgame live from the Coliseum inside the stadium. He was clear to go because he was part of the media. And one of the coolest moments in that game, one of the coolest moments in the season, as USC scored a touchdown right in the end zone where the Fox crew was, the running back runs right up to Reggie Bush, gives him a high five. You know why? Because he knows history. He knows the legacy of one of the greatest players to ever suit up for USC was right there. He was right there in front of him. Never allowed to be on campus, never allowed to be used as a marketing tool or a recruiting tool. Now he's standing right there. It's great for the game of college football. It's great for USC that Reggie Bush is back into the fold in an official capacity. Give him his Heisman Trophy back. Put it in USC's football uh, locker room. It's good for not only USC, it's good for college football that a player of this caliber, player of this incredible, incredible skill can be remembered, be embraced again. Have USC retire his jersey. Let's bring those highlights back and make up for lost time that should have happened a long time ago. So it's good to see, again, the NSA having these rules, and it's good to see USC can once again embrace Reggie Bush. It's good to see that college football can embrace Reggie Bush because vacating doesn't do anything. We all know what happened, and now we can stop pretending that we didn't see something that actually happened in real life. It was awesome to see. So welcome back, Reggie Bush. You killed me. And you just tore up Notre Dame every single year. But watch your highlights. Incredible. And welcome back because you were one of the best to ever played the game. And should be celebrated for that. So we appreciate Reggie Bush and USC getting back together. Um, and uh, it's nice to see, again, a college football legend get back into the, get back in the fold. It only helps grow the sport um, for sure. So that's going to do it for this Thursday edition of the Morning Boys. Appreciate Brian Marzo for coming on and playing 2020 Apocalypse. Had a lot of fun. Appreciate all of you for listening and tuning in. Um, hope you not only have a great rest of your week, have a great weekend. Enjoy it. Stay safe. Stay sane. Um, please continue to practice social distancing. Coronavirus is still out there. So please stay safe. We're slowly, slowly getting there. Phase two in Long Island is coming in. Phase one in New York City is there. Hopefully wherever you are, you're slowly getting back to some sort of normality here as we crawl our way. Hopefully to have some sort of normal summer um, for longer time than not. So, again, we appreciate you tuning in. Hopefully you have a great, safe weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.